This episode includes dramatization of real events and conversations. April 27th, 1986. The Soviet Union is finally evacuating the city of Pripyat in northern Ukraine. 36 hours ago, a horrific explosion occurred less than two miles away at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant. Confusion and toxic radiation are spreading throughout the town. As a crowd of 50,000 hurriedly grabbed a few belongings, thinking they were only going to be gone a few days, little did they know they were actually in the midst of the worst nuclear disaster in history. The eventual government response would be slow, inept, and exacerbate the horrific damage. However, the disaster actually began years before, when Soviet officials denied the problems. Indeed, in the 1960s, the Soviet government designed a uniquely flawed reactor and saw the dangerous warnings of it for years, yet they covered up the problems and built even more of the same machines. Then finally, all the years of denial, mismanagement, and an alarming contraption combined on one night, a near-apocalyptic catastrophe that spread across Europe and even the rest of the globe. As the horrendous aftermath unfolded, Soviet officials would again deny and cover up their real problem the whole time, themselves and their fatally defective machine. In Texas today, our poorly designed government-run school system is setting off all kinds of alarms, and officials, particularly the state legislature, have let the warnings go for decades. And though we don't face a looming literal explosion, our situation is perhaps more perilous, a system that is damaging our kids in their critical development years. That fallout can affect all aspects of their lives and even continue for generations. The sirens keep blaring, including the most critical, the whole purpose of the entire system, the education. How long will the warnings grow? This is episode four of Exposed, season two. HISD. Leaders there say they are, quote, laser-focused on turning around failing schools. Houston Public Schools are about to be taken over by the state. Governor Greg Abbott says an entire generation of students have been left behind because of the school board's policies. Texas's largest school district taken over by the state government. In this letter from the Commissioner of Education, the school's accreditation status from last school year is being lowered to accredited warned. Now, what does that mean? The Texas Education Agency says warned means that a district performs so poorly that if those problems are not addressed, it will lead to probation or the district's accreditation being revoked. New tonight, a proposed state takeover of Houston ISD is on hold, at least for now. A judge in Austin granted a temporary injunction until a lawsuit fighting the takeover is resolved. Back in November, Texas Education Commission... Houston Independent School District, capturing roughly 200,000 students, is perhaps one of the most alarming glimpses into our system 
because countless districts across the state share threads of Houston's story. Years and years of failing schools, years and years of failed promises, years and years of bureaucracy corruption, including Houston's own La Jolla-like FBI investigations, years and years of billions of taxpayer dollars, and years and years of state government investigations and warnings. And after all that, in 2022, still crashed. All the old alarms in Houston are still going off, and perhaps louder than ever now. The local administration complex is too monstrous and tangled, the state government too massive and slow, impaired with their own political dealings with unions and lobbyists. Meanwhile, as the years drag on, nearly an entire generation of students have already been forced to go through the district's dysfunctional machine, and another wave of thousands and thousands of children are now entering. A 2021 Houston Chronicle article summarized the district as, quote, stuck in neutral, and more than 18,000 students have recently left HISD. Superintendent Millard House told ABC 13 that families are, quote, walking away from what they didn't have and what they felt like they needed for their children. Yet multitudes of other students in the district and across Texas can't get out. And who's supposed to fix the current monopoly system? Teachers are supposed to be the crown jewel of a healthy education environment, but in the current system, they've long been underpaid, overburdened, forced to teach to the test, and are now fleeing the current system in record droves. A fall 2021 survey by the Texas American Federation of Teachers also revealed that just over that year, 66% of teachers wanted to leave their jobs. Administration and school boards are supposed to be accountable to the parents and voters, but they all too often just protect their own bureaucracy. Indeed, they're actually instructed to do so by the Texas Association of School Boards. This is a quote from their Powers and Duties of the Board document. Most elected officials equate being elected with representing a voting constituency. In Texas, however, school board trustees are not like other public office holders, such as city council members, state legislators, or county commissioners. Once elected, a school board trustee serves on a body corporate and the board's constituency is the district itself, not a group of voters. The trustees are called upon to serve the needs of the district and its school children as a whole, not the wishes of a particular block of voters, even in a single-member district. The Texas legislature is the operator of the statewide monopoly system, tasked by the state constitution to establish a, quote, efficient system of public free schools and is supposed to do the will of parents and citizens rather than high-paying lobbyists. But we've all seen how that's gone for a long time. For what purpose? Uh, does the gentleman yield for some questions? Does the gentleman yield for questions? Yes, I do. The gentleman yields. The legislature has, in the last few years, tried to make some adjustments to their current machine like A through F ratings for school districts and STAR standardized tests. But those have caused all kinds of other malfunctions, including arbitrary pictures that hide the real situation in schools and teachers being forced to forsake healthy education to quote, teach to the test. Furthermore, lawmakers have been tinkering with the whole system for decades, throwing in whatever trendy one-size-fits-all magic parts. But when those didn't work, they also just poured more truckloads of taxpayer dollars into the contraption and hoped the alarms would go away. None ever actually dealt with the machine itself, 
And, unsurprisingly, it's still stubbornly not working. All members vote. Texas finished 42nd of 50 states in overall education performance on the 2021 Quality Counts report card. Even back in 1993, John Hood, former president of the John Locke Foundation, summarized the situation that still persists today. By any reasonable measure, America's monopolistic, bureaucratic, overregulated system of public schools is woefully unprepared to meet the challenges of the 21st century. Political business and education leaders continue to talk about reforming the current public education system. They should, instead, be discussing how to replace it. I continued my conversation with award-winning research director Corey DeAngelis, who advocates for a free market school system. He reiterated that since 1970 in Texas, per-pupil spending in the current state monopoly system has increased by 150% in real terms, yet educational results have remained flat. The only way to fix this, again, is to take that 13 or so thousand dollars that Texas is spending on a per-pupil basis right now in the government school system and give that money to the families and let them decide. On average, uh, private school tuition and fees in Texas is about ten dollars or $11,000 per student. So that thirteen or so thousand would go a long way towards uh, allowing families to afford alternatives. And the only way out of that mess through freedom rather than force is to allow the money to follow the child and to allow families to choose the education provider that best aligns with their family's values and best meets their kids' needs, uh, whether it's academically, uh, socially, or through the curriculum aligning with the family's values. There's no other way out of this. Corey explained that the latest 2022 morning consult polling shows 76% of Texas public school parents support directly funding students instead of the system, adding that, quote, more and more Texas parents are seeing there isn't any good reason to fund a failing government institution when you can fund students directly instead. However, the main opponents are unions, lobbyists, businesses, and bureaucracy that collect untold millions in dues, contracts, and salaries from the monopoly system, regardless of the educational results. Indeed, ever since the modern government education system was built some 120 years ago, politicians, lobbyists, and corporations have gradually fabricated and modified it into an even clunkier and costly behemoth, and have hooked themselves up to it to drain plenty of taxpayer cash. So, of course, they want to get that $13,000 per kid, regardless of the choice of the families. And I don't really blame them. That's just the that's not a problem with the employees in the system. Again, it's the problem with the system itself that the, the money goes to the buildings, regardless of how well they do. And instead, like every other industry, the money should follow the child. And the main argument that they'll put forward, the teachers unions in Texas and elsewhere will say that, well, School choice might sound good and all, but this steals money or defunds the public schools, to which I'll respond, if anything, school choice doesn't defund public schools. Public schools, if anything, defund families. And school choice initiatives just return the money to the hands of the rightful owners, or at least the intended beneficiaries of that funding. My other response is, it's more of a rhetorical question, but why would giving families a choice defund the public schools? Why would giving families a choice defund the public schools? If the public schools are doing such a great job, then you shouldn't be worried about giving families a choice. So the defenders of the status quo are implicitly admitting 
that they understand that families aren't happy with what they're getting. And they're arguing that they, they must force their kids, disproportionately low-income kids, to attend their failing institutions for 13 years without exit options. This is a, an admission of failure, and that's an argument for school choice, not against it. Corey concluded that the alarms in the current system have blared for far too long. Families have been crying out for years and years and can't afford years and years more. Sometimes the system is so irreparably broken and it understands that it doesn't have to listen to families unless families can have an exit option. They can always tell you, oh, you know, we're trying our best, we're trying our best, and then things never get better. We've seen that decade after decade all across the country. The time is up and look, parents are the new special interest group in town and they aren't going away anytime soon. Give the power to the parents and let them choose what's best for their own kids. So what happens with a flawed machine, years of alarms, and a trail of mismanagement? Ask the residents of Pripyat. After the explosion, they would eventually never return to the abandoned and radiation-ravaged town. And their lives and countless others around the Soviet Union and Europe would be permanently altered and damaged. The 1986 catastrophe shook the very foundation of the dysfunctional Soviet Union, so much so that those cracks eventually led to its entire collapse in 1991. The final Soviet president, Mikhail Gorbachev, wrote in an article entitled Turning Point at Chernobyl that the Chernobyl disaster was, quote, perhaps the real cause of the collapse of the Soviet Union five years later. The event, more than anything else, opened the possibility of much greater freedom of expression to the point that the system as we knew it could no longer continue. What about us in Texas? How long will our alarms continue? And what happens now? This episode was written and hosted by Jacob Asmussen. Audio production and direction by Walker York, along with sound engineering.